This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 31st, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Two reports on civil asset forfeiture from the Department of Justice and Treasury undercut the claims of people like Jeff Sessions, Donald Trump, and Loretta Lynch that civil asset forfeiture is a great tool. Darpana Sheth of the Institute for Justice explains how the new data makes the case for reform. Jeff Sessions, our U.S. Attorney General, uh, has made really no bones about the fact that he is a fan of civil asset forfeiture. His predecessor, Loretta Lynch, also was a fan of civil asset forfeiture, called it a wonderful tool. Um, and even Donald Trump, in in a meeting not too long ago, he had with, I believe, uh, sheriffs. Uh, somebody was talking about uh, legislation that would have reformed civil asset re- forfeiture in Texas. Uh, and Donald Trump famously said, uh, what's his name? Let's destroy his career, something to that effect. And, and also, in, if you read the conversation more closely, it seemed that he was unclear on exactly uh, what the uh, law is on it and seemed to imply that he thought that without civil asset forfeiture, you would have to give illegal drugs back to criminals. <laughs> that was sort of the, the, the subtext that was kind of... Uh, not totally clear, but it seemed like that's what he thought was the case. Now we know a little more about the effectiveness of programs at the federal level that govern these forfeitures. So what do we know from the twin reports from the Department of Justice and from the Treasury Department? So both of these reports um, basically undercut the claim from law enforcement that civil forfeiture is a tool that's vital to fight crime. Um, which is what groups like the Institute for Justice have been saying all along. Um, The first report is um, from the internal watchdog of the uh, Justice Department, the Office of the Inspector General, and it basically found that many of the Drug Enforcement Administration's uh, so-called interdiction seizures uh, may not advance or even relate to any criminal investigation. In fact, in more than half of the cases they looked at, the DEA could not verify whether these warrantless interdiction seizures advanced a criminal investigation. And that's very problematic then because on the front end, you don't have a warrant, um, so there's no judicial kind of check on it. On the back end, these forfeitures are done administratively, meaning by the seizing agency, the DEA itself, without any judicial um, supervision. So the risk to civil liberties is particularly high without that kind of, um, those kind of procedural safeguards. So how do they encourage people away from making use of the justice system in these seizures? Well, once your property is seized under federal law, the burden is on you as a property owner to timely file a claim in order to get the judicial supervision. And because it's a civil proceeding, you're not guaranteed an attorney. Um, So a lot of times people just aren't really sure how to file these claims or they file them uh, in in an untimely manner or in the wrong agency. Um, Because remember, many of these uh, seizures are happening on the ground roadside and you've got state and local law enforcement involved, but yet it's the drug enforcement um, agency or administration that's involved. And if you do not file a claim, then that's it. Your property is gone, administratively forfeited, and you, you don't have really any options at that point. All right. So what about the report from Treasury? 
The report from Treasury uh, similarly uh, undercuts the idea that civil forfeiture is targeting criminals. Um, in fact, they found that the IRS's forfeiture program and specifically compromised the rights of, of individuals and found that of the almost 300 cases they looked at from 2012 to 2014, in 91% of those civil forfeiture actions, um, that involved money that owners had obtained legally. And so, as many listeners may remember uh, from, from previous podcasts, the IRS's forfeiture program is primarily involved around something called structuring, where under bank regulation laws, um, ten, uh, transactions of $10,000 or more must be reported um, by the banks. And it is a separate crime to, quote, structure or break up your financial transactions to avoid that reporting requirement. Um, the IRS and the Justice Department have interpreted those laws very aggressively um, to encompass even when the money itself is legally obtained. Um, and there's other innocent explanations for making deposits in frequent less than $10,000 amounts um, to still involve structuring. And it was only because of um, a few IJ cases that um, were featured on the front page of the New York Times that the IRS and DOJ finally changed their policy and said they would no longer pursue structuring cases where the seized funds were legally obtained. Um, but that only applied going forward to property owners. And so there were a lot of people who had already been the victims of this kind of aggressive interpretation. And that's what the Treasury IG report really looks at and found that um, a fifth of the people of the owners had reasonable explanations without the agency ever even bothering to investigate. Worse, federal prosecutors working with the IRS actually encouraged what they called quick hits. So targeting um, those kind of innocent owner cases um, because it was easier to seize and less investigation to pursue rather than where you have cases where there is also some kind of crime or criminal activity going on like uh, money laundering or some other kind of crime. So a retailer that for some reason is depositing uh, relatively small amounts of cash uh, but act doing it all above board and maybe or maybe not uh, trying to avoid this specific trigger uh, for paperwork reasons. That's right. Um, people, we've had many clients, um, some who may, they're primarily involved in cash businesses and they um, make frequent less than $10,000 deposits because their insurance company will only cover cash losses up to $10,000. We've had other clients who, they're small towns, they go to the, their local bank and the bank teller says, well, if you don't, if you just break this up a bit, I won't have to fill out an extra form. And so for completely innocent reasons, um, this is being done. But it, it, it really undermines the claim. I mean, if, if federal prosecutors are going after these quote-unquote easy cases where there is no other illegal activity, it kind of undercuts this idea that they're trying to actually um, fight crime, which is what IJ has been saying all along, that civil forfeiture is really a tool for generating revenue for law enforcement. Um, the, both the Justice Department and the Treasury have increased their forfeiture activity more than 1,000 percent between 2001 and 2014. And right now, that's a total of forfeiture deposits of nearly $29 billion. 
And that's all money that's, you know, not being overseen by Congress or through the normal appropriations process. And it's interesting that if the easy cases are the ones where uh, an innocent person can most easily explain themselves, uh, it really goes to the core of why this law is a problem. That's right. Um, and these, the, both these reports, I guess, also underscore the need for why Congress has to act now. So what, uh, the Cato Institute recently did a poll and uh, found that 84 percent of Americans oppose civil asset forfeiture and Congress, uh, at the very least, there are rumblings as there uh, have been in, in recent years. Is, is it your sense that the appetite is, uh, is growing? Definitely. Um, last year before the election, there were a number of bills that w had been introduced, but I guess things are tough in election year. But um, right now, there are three separate bills. Um, there are comprehensive reform measures um, pending in Congress. The first is the FAIR Act, introduced by um, Senator Rand Paul and um, bipartisan support also with Senator uh, Cory Booker. And it would completely reform civil forfeiture, both the, the main problems, both on the procedural side with safeguarding property owners' um, rights, as well as eliminating that what we call the profit incentive, this direct financial incentive that law enforcement um, gets to keep forfeiture proceeds and abolish uh, the equitable sharing program where state and local law enforcement partnered with um, federal authorities to, in exchange for up to 80 percent of forfeiture proceeds. Um, the second one is the Due Process Act, which is the bill that was last year uh, introduced in the Judiciary Committee itself on both sides, um, the House and the Senate. Currently, it's only been introduced in the House, but it enjoys it also enjoys wide uh, bipartisan support, and that is mainly focused just on the procedural safeguards. It does not address the profit incentive. And finally, there's the RESPECT Act, um, which was introduced in the House and would codify those IRS and DOJ policy changes about structuring so that um, those reforms can't be undone with just a stroke of a pen. And the, but those are that's a far less sweeping uh, reform. Right, because it only addresses, I mean, given their jurisdiction, it was only addressing the IRS, the structuring kind of um, bank account seizures. On the DOJ report, um, the ultimate conclusion is that basically the, the DOJ cannot effectively assess whether asset forfeiture is being appropriately used. And that is precisely what IJ had found in its um, earlier uh, forfeiture transparency and accountability report. Okay. Well, let's stand with the IRS then. Um, the IRS is an agency that is under the Treasury Department, and but yet uh, you guys have had uh, tremendous difficulty trying to get that agency to provide you with the same kind of data that uh, Treasury and DOJ have provided. That's correct. Um, IJ, we've filed a lawsuit against the, um, the Treasury Department for failing to um, give us that information that the, just, the Justice Department has provided uh, under the Freedom of Information Act. Um, additionally, after the IRS and DOJ changed their policy to no longer pursue um, forfeitures of legal funds for structuring, um, IJ got involved to help property owners get back their money um, through so-called, they're called petitions for remission, but basically they apply to the IRS and the DOJ and say, look, you changed your policy. This is not a crime going forward. 
why should we not get our money back for the same reasons? Um, but the IRS and DOJ still have not given all of this money back to property owners. And IJ has asked for this information of how many people have gotten their money back, how many people remain um, through FOIA requests, and those have not, um, those have gone unanswered so far um, after more than a year. Darpana Sheth is a senior attorney at the Institute for Justice. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.